Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about health IT startups, the good, the bad, and tips to help those startup companies that are trying to be successful. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. How many startups have you worked at, Colin? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I actually haven't worked at that many. I've worked at four okay. startups, but I've uh, advised probably more than 50 or 60 through some of the work I do locally here at Innovation Hub. Yeah, so, that's true. Forgot um, about all the advising. See, I'm, I'm more of, I've never, I guess I may have, I guess I've worked at my own startup, I guess, if you consider healthcare scene a startup, but, and I've owned equity in, uh, I think two or three others. So, and, you know, advised a bunch more. So it, it's a, it's a, topic that's near and dear to their heart. I actually just went to a startup pitch competition today, right. but it was to a bunch of marketers <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't used to the callous feedback that I gave, I think. I, yeah, at the uh, Innovation Hub uh, that I work at, which is local here um, to where I live, uh, which is called Venture Lab, by the way, um, you know, we, we have people pitching us all the time and I'm known, I have a reputation as like the harshest advisor at the beginning. Cause I'm asking all these like really tough questions around business models and things like that, that a lot of entrepreneurs frankly don't have the answers to. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of awkward, right? When you're like making a pitch and you can't answer a question, it's like this awkward silence. So um, it's a yeah. hard thing though, right? Because you want the, you want to ask them the hard questions, but there is something about success as a startup when it comes to naivety, right? <laughs> like yeah. the reason they're so successful is because they're naive to the challenges and we're not naive to the challenges. Yeah. And so like, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe it's better if they're naive because they'll just go for it and maybe they'll prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that sort of like maybe leads us into our first discussion point, John, like what does it really take to succeed as a healthcare startup? Yeah, it's hard because I think that uh, startups that come into healthcare think it's going to be like the rest of the world. <laughs> and then they find out healthcare is it's just a little bit different. But my biggest advice to any healthcare startup to be successful is to beg, borrow, and steal your way to a customer. And even better is to a customer in various classes. So whether that's a, you know, a large health system customer, a mid-sized hospital system customer, a small hospital system customer, you know, or and if, you, if you're an ambulatory, maybe an ambulatory doctor or a group practice. So if, if you have those, then that's gold. And whatever you have to do to get those initial customers. And I'm talking about someone who's actually paying you uh, is ideal, but sure, maybe in the beginning, you got to get someone who's doing it for free and then transition and say, okay, now I need to get someone who's willing to pay for this service that I'm willing to offer them or this product. Uh, I think that's key because that first bar of, hey, we're in healthcare, we understand healthcare, people want to pay us because we're providing some sort of benefit that is gold. Uh, you're right. Um, you know, 
healthcare is a very pure industry, right? We, we do peer reviews. Uh, people always look over at what, you know, so-and-so <laughs> hospital is doing, what the leaders are doing. Copycats so, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Having a customer is so important. That is, that is one of the big keys to success. If you can land one, then you've got a shot, right? Getting that first customer is probably one of the hardest things to do in healthcare because they're taking a risk on you, right? As a, as a startup and there's no hiding it that you're a startup. And so, um, yeah, like you said, beg, borrow, steal, do whatever you can to get that first pilot, that first customer to sign on uh, so that you can get that logo on your website or, or even even privately, you can say who yeah, that, um, that sales. you have one. Yeah, exactly. That's going to make a big difference. I think the other big difference for me that, you know, what it takes to succeed as a healthcare startup, it, you know, you have to have, first of all, I think there's some no's, but you have to good good people. You have to have a solid product idea, but I think you really have to choose the right target. Mm. And I think this is something that really a lot of healthcare startups miss. And that is, is it really this physician that you're selling to, or is it the insurance <laughs> company? Is it a patient you're selling to, or is it their caregiver you're selling to? I really think um, getting the business model right for a healthcare startup is critical to the success of healthcare startups. I've seen too many people with great products, great teams, even a first customer, but just had picked the wrong business model. They went SaaS when in fact a, a single payment, uh, you know, upfront payment would actually be better. Or they went after patients, uh, end user uh, revenue versus, you know, an intermediary's revenue where it was more B2B selling. So I think the business model for me is the one that most people get tripped up on. Uh, and that is one of the most keys to, to their success. Yeah, that's fair. I think kind of related to that is not understanding who are the people and who are those, you know, either people and or organizations who can hijack your sales process. I, I think healthcare is slightly unique in, in that regard that there's so many people that have their, their hands in the cookie jar, if you will. <laughs> right. And so I think many underestimate, they're like, Oh, the doctor wants to use this. They love it. They think it's the best thing in the world. And so they think, Oh, this is golden. Doctors love it. And then they realize, wait, but you didn't get the practice manager on board or you didn't get the compliance officer or security officer on board or, or the CIO had another vision for how he wanted to implement that technology solution on a larger platform rather than this very specific use case that the doctor loves but doesn't scale to the entire organization. So I think misunderstanding how many people could hijack your sales process is another major challenge for healthcare startups. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a very good one. I think another thing that I would say um, that isn't actually a recipe for success would be having uh, healthcare veterans on your staff. I think, I, I mean, it certainly helps. I'm not saying that it's not a good thing, but I'm saying even if you're new to healthcare, I don't think that's as big a disadvantage as it used to be. Because hmm. uh, I think if you have advisory people who are um, healthcare veterans or maybe a doctor that's you know specific to the area you're looking at, having an advisory team that's over only part-time with your company or just an advisor to your company, I think that's enough. I think for investors, they love to see veterans who you know done this, been there, of course. That that if you're going after investment, that's a different story. But in general, I think it really today is more about, is it a great product? Does it work, right? Has anyone else implemented it? Those are the more important questions versus who's on your team, right? Hmm. I don't think you get, I think that's sort of way further down the list than it used to be. 
I'm not sure I agree with you there. I think you need at least one person. Uh, I like to say one person with the gray hair, right? <laughs> like <laughs> the, the gray hair that's been to the 30 chimes and the, thir- you know, 20 hymns and the whatever else. And that they've, you know, gone to the bar and the golf outings and everything else with, you know, with a hundred different CIOs that they know for a long time. There, there's some credibility that comes from that. And, and, and some guidance on the sales process that I think is extremely valuable. I, I think for, for some, maybe some other areas of healthcare, maybe you can get away with it, but especially in the hospital space, I, I think you really need that gray haired person. <laughs> I, I think I agree with you in terms of enterprise stuff, but yeah. I think there are some point solutions and some things where maybe that's not as necessary, but definitely if you're going something after that connects to an EHR or something strategic, yeah, having that person that you said that's been at the 20 chimes is definitely helpful. Yeah. Um, but kind of, you know, woven into all of what we were just talking about, John, is, you know, we've probably both seen it. Like startups misjudge healthcare. Um, when you don't have that person who's been to all these conferences or has worked in healthcare, you tend to misjudge healthcare. And I don't know about you, but the one I see the most is they do not understand that there is regulation around devices. I've seen mm. so many healthcare device startups we not realize, oh, you have to get FDA approval for this. And they're like, <laughs> well, 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 isn't there some test I have to have to have to pass? And I'm like, no, that's not how certification works. There's kind <laughs> of a test. It's just like infinitely more complex than a one-time test. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they thought they think it's like it's like a getting the UL code or like, you know, whatever. You have to just pass certain electrical tests or whatever. Like, no, 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 you have to like go through a clinical trial and actually get it published and have to do all of this stuff to, in order to, you know, go get to, you know, getting your certifications and people just don't understand. You just can't invent something and then magically you have it start selling it to doctors, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. And it's interesting what you said at the beginning though, you said when they don't have someone that's a healthcare person on it to let them know, I've seen that be a problem as well where you have the wrong clinical person. So maybe they're the best neurologist in the world, but that neurologist maybe doesn't understand the business of healthcare. And so they, they may advise the startup in a really bad way as far as how do you make this successful as a business? And that's actually what I think is the probably biggest misjudge that I see on people that come into healthcare, especially from other industries and try to do a startup in healthcare. They assume if it's the best thing for the patient that I'll be successful. Mm. It hurts for me to say that, right? Like it's sad that that's not always true, but the perverse incentives of healthcare really come into play. And so knowing how you can do what's right for the patient, improve the patient care and do so in a way that is makes sense from the business perspective for the doctor, for the payer, for the employer, whoever you're targeting. I think that's the thing that they misjudge most often. They're like, well, it's great for the patient. Why wouldn't the doctor buy it? And you're like, uh, yeah, there's a lot more to that than just what's right for the patient. Yeah. And I find that's one piece of advice I give almost all, every single time that shocks uh, the startups that I work with. And that is the whole, you mentioned it, the reimbursement and how healthcare is paid for. They don't realize that, oh, there's actually a ceiling of which what I can charge for my product. Why? Because it's replacing something that's already written into the codes, like the, the reimbursement codes. So no one's going to 
buy something that's going to make their procedure cost twice as much, even though it's twice as good or help twice as safe, because, well, they're not going to be reimbursed for that, right? They're not going to be reimbursed for your device because it's equivalent to something else that was set at this rate. And that is mind boggling to them. They're like, wait a minute. You mean I have to charge like no doctor? And then they don't realize they have to go to like the insurance companies and get new codes. And if it's a new procedure and how, how difficult that actually really is. So that trips a lot of people up in terms of understanding where the payments actually come from and B, what the payments actually are or your particular procedure or your particular treatment. Yeah. And a lot of the startups think a doctor will just pay for it because it makes them more efficient or drives more patients to them. But it's just shocking how much doctors don't really care. And my theory behind that is that the majority of doctors get paid quite well. They don't have a problem generating demand for their services. There's a few exceptions in competing cities, but a lot of them don't. And so they're not really driven to increase their bottom line by $10,000 by investing 3000 in you. Like that doesn't really change their value of life. It doesn't increase their revenue so much. I mean, so it's just, it's great. You know, you and I would look at it and say, oh, we could spend 3000 and make 10,000. That seems like a good investment. But most doctors look at him like, eh, what's another 7,000? I got to do all the extra work. And yeah, never mind. Let's just, we're, <laughs> we're fine. So I think that's a challenge for a lot of startup companies as well. Yeah, I agree. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today, we're talking about health IT startups, the good, the bad, and dispensing a few tips along the way. So, John, you know, I think recently, uh, well, with the pandemic, of course, we've seen a huge increase in the amount of investment being made in healthcare. And even before the pandemic, we were seeing a significant increase in the, the number of startups, the, uh, the amount of investors kind of going into healthcare. Um, is this still a good time to get into healthcare as a startup or has the boat sailed? Yeah. I mean, I don't know where all this money's coming from. <laughs> I think there's just a lot of money out there. It's probably not just healthcare that's seeing it, but definitely healthcare seems primed for it. So is it a good time to be in healthcare? I think there are opportunities there are still plenty of opportunities because healthcare is inefficient. I think that's true. I think there's a number of technologies that are empowering patients in ways that they weren't able to do before. And patients are becoming more empowered and becoming more interested in having those type of empowered patient experiences like they have in the rest of the world. And so I think there are those opportunities I think it's interesting though, because a lot of startups, when they go after healthcare, they get really confused because they're like, wait, so do I want to be adjacent to healthcare and kind of disrupt a whole section of healthcare by creating telehealth visits that are great, really consumer friendly that everyone wants to do? So they come to me rather than going to their doctor. Or do they want to create something that benefits the healthcare system and makes them more efficient and lowers their costs? Or do they end up wanting to do something for employers who are suffering from all the costs? And so I think a lot of startup companies get really confused about, are they trying to disrupt healthcare or do they want to work with healthcare and do something to make it more efficient? 
I'm going to use the cop-out answer. Uh, you know, obviously being being uh, very biased and being in this industry, I think it's always a good time to come into healthcare because we need it, right? We need as we'll many- take it, whether, I'm, <laughs> yeah. whether I think it's good or not, you come. <laughs> right, like we need the bright minds. We need the ideas. We even need the negative proof points where, hey, we tried something and it didn't work, right? Like we need all of that because healthcare is become this giant industry octopus that touches everyone's lives. So I think the more we can, we can get- bright minds and new companies and energy into the space, I think the better, just in general. Now, but in terms of the investment though, I think I, I agree with you is, I wonder if a lot of the money was going to health and wellness, com- consumer side kind of health stuff. Like we've all heard about that, not the joke, but you know, that spoon, which calculates the number of calories, right? And the the all the weight scales that you can use at home and you know, all the trackers and things that you can have to test how fast you're swimming, right? And, and all that kind of stuff. I think there's definitely been a lot more interest, investment, and money on that side of the healthcare mm-hmm. spectrum. I'm not sure there's been equal amounts on the B2B side, like on the ones that, you know, helping people with revenue cycle management, interoperability, and new uh, new imaging systems and things like that. I don't, I'm not sure about that, whether or not we've seen a huge jump on that side. But I still think like you, there are plenty of opportunities here. Healthcare is so inefficient and healthcare has not been traditionally one of the fastest adopters of new technology. So I think there's definitely some opportunity here with the right team, right product, right marketing to really make a difference and really make a go of it on the, I'll call it the business side of healthcare, right? And the more traditional side, the, the clinical side of healthcare. Yeah, I think one of the challenges, it's harder to have hockey stick growth on the healthcare side of things, whereas in the wellness, you can imagine hockey stick growth. Now, is it harder to achieve? I think so, right? And so it's a different investor mindset to invest in a health IT company, if you will, versus a wellness company. And so that's where we see. I also think some of them are overvalued. You know, we've seen so much investment where people have said, let's try to capture this market where they're dropping a hundred million investment. And is that going to be a good return? I'm not so sure about that. But here's a good one for you. I want to ask you what you think about this. One time a venture capitalist came up to me and they said, hey, John, who's the epic killer? Because <laughs> obviously they wanted to invest, you know, with the idea being, and we could include Epic and Serter and Meditech and Athena and ECW and Allscripts and everyone in those groups, right? But they, they, they made so much money and they were built back in the 70s and 80s. Most of them. And so the, you know, the, the, you can tell the venture capitalist was looking, I've seen it even on uh, some of the webinars and stuff on the record, where they're like, we want to find the one that's going to disrupt them. Do you, do you think that's that, is that a good investment? Do you see anything on the horizon that could do that? Well, I mean, I would say never say never, but I, I know you've heard me talk about this on our episodes many times. Like I liken this to SAP in the ERP space. Like, is anybody going to be disrupting SAP anytime really soon for large, large scale manufacturers? The answer is maybe, but unlikely. Like, where's yeah. the where's the SAP killer over there, right? Like, maybe there's three or four other com- com- co-competitors, but they've been around since the 70s, right? Like, you know, that you know, the written in COBOL, right? Like, it, it could happen, but there's so, it's so entrenched and there's such a big ecosystem around them. And the amount of retraining that would have to get be done. I'm just not sure people have an appetite for that, given that we've only in, 
only invested in these things in the last 20 years, right? Well, if, yeah, if you think about it, like what's the smallest investment for one of these large EHR system? Maybe 50 million, right. which is great. Yes, but it's like, that's the opportunity, right? right? You know, your customer is a 50 million to like, 12 billion is that where we're at uh, some you know i think it's it's actually exploded to 21 billion for the va or something so it's like oh you see it right as an entrepreneur as a startup person you're like there's such an opportunity there to own that system and to redo it in a way cuz I mean, does anyone love their EHR? I don't know. Not really. <laughs> so it seems like there's an opportunity you could create that love and you'd have these massive customers, but oh, it's definitely tough to disrupt. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think it's right now as an investor, I would not say it's smart money to chase an Epic or a Cerner replacement. I think yeah. the wounds are still too fresh from <laughs> meaningful use. And there's still too many people who are invested in those systems. And Hey, listen, despite was what you know some of the complaining that gets done I, you know they for the most part they work right they do the job they could be definitely improved um, and i think you know in recent years they've backed off trying to be everything to everybody at least a couple of them have and so there's more ecosystem involved right so i think definitely there's there's still money to be made um, being adjacent to an ehr as opposed to being the replacement for uh, one yeah. of the mega ehrs yeah. And by the way, just on the record, I think it's a tough hill to climb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, if, if I'm Epic, Cerner, Medita, I'm all those, I'm, I'm in a happy place. <laughs> like, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, again, I go back to the SAP example. Just look at that industry and go, well, how long have they been around? And who's really challenging them? The answer, not very many. Yeah, not many, many people. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's end the episode on this question, John, uh, one that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, what are some marketing tips that you have for healthcare startups? What they, should they do or, or not do? Yeah, I mean, you're more the expert on this than I, for sure. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a hack job on, on this side of things. Uh, you know, I, I think the key for me when I talk to a startup company is to really understand your culture and understand what type of organization you are and how you want to approach it. Because uh, I think there's a lot of people who are like, well, I should be doing social media and I should be doing advertising. Shouldn't I be at trade booths? And shouldn't, I mean, you're like, yeah, you should and could do everything, right? <laughs> but the reality is you're a startup and you can't. So I think being really honest with yourself, do you have a dynamic CEO that's just incredible in the trade press? If so, then yeah, do investing in the PR and reaching out and using that dynamic person that you know people are going to want to interview makes a lot of sense. You know, do you have an amazing story with, you know, great and you're great at writing and you have a team that's good at that, you know, that can tell a story that's unique or that's great at regulations and helping understand the regulations in a way that's great. Are you good at that? Well, then maybe a blog does make sense because you have that capability or are you a bunch of salespeople that really just needs to connect with a ton of people and be put in the right place? Well, maybe your trade show strategy is the right thing. So I guess that's where I would start is who are you as a company? Yeah, I think a bunch of tips here. You know, first of all, um, you know, if, if at all possible, definitely hire somebody or team with an agency that is familiar with this industry. Because healthcare marketing is unique. There's a certain language, a certain nomenclature. There's certainly a lot of acronyms uh, that is so hard to teach. Not to say a person who's you know marketed in a different industry couldn't learn it all. 
But definitely if you're a startup trying to make a difference with limited budget, definitely try to bring on board somebody who's done this, uh, an, an experienced healthcare marketer. You'll just save so much time and frustration, right? So even though they may be a little bit more expensive, it's worth it. Uh, that's my number one tip. And I've seen it happen over and over again, where they take someone from another industry and they can do a pretty good job of creating a piece of content, but then it falls flat. And why? It's when you read it, you go, well, clearly you tried to write this for a doctor and you missed the mark, right? Yeah. You're not using Do the right pay terms. for the person or pay for the mistakes. Is that kind of the message? That's interesting. Pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. The other tip I would say is, yeah, don't believe everything that you're reading about like, oh, you should be doing this, should be doing that because you fall in the trap because a lot of stuff you read is, oh, you should be like doing ads on Google or doing LinkedIn ads and, and doing those kinds of things. And for most health IT startups, those ads are on like phase five in your marketing plan. Like you really shouldn't be doing them right away. You would be better served by focusing in on having a kick-ass PowerPoint for your sales team, focusing in on making sure that your website is well done and has the right information easily found. Like a five-page website with the right information easily found is far better than having 15 pages with super detailed information on them, right? Like these are the kinds of things you can do very quickly. And yeah, there's a lot of things you can do by bootstrapping that you don't need to go and pay for like a, a press release to go across the wire, right? There's a lot of things you can do that are for free. Uh, there's a lots of different ways you can leverage conferences without actually being an exhibitor at them. So lots of tips like that for, for healthcare startups. Yeah. And I, I think don't, also don't underestimate, you know, the value you bring as a startup, especially if you're coming from an outside industry, I, you know, that's an exciting thing in the beginning that can also build the culture of your company, but it can also get you press that's maybe you won't get later. Right. But it, you know, if you used to work at Expedia or you used to, you know, whatever, right. You come from Amazon, whatever, whatever it might be. And you have someone of that nature, you know, that's a good time where you can leverage some of those unique qualities uh, because people love that type of story. They want to tell about it. And, I think the other one that's kind of related to that is, and then we see it with almost every startup company. Why did you get into this? And usually it's my mom, my sister, my kid, you know, there, there's some sort of story there and that's great. I, I think those stories are, are worth telling and a lot of people will, will grab onto them. For sure. For sure. What should they not do, John? I think one of the things I would say that they shouldn't do, just don't ignore conferences. I know people like, Oh, we why do we have to go for them? Why do we do? You definitely need to go because that's where you make a lot of the networking and that's where you build the relationships. And as we know, healthcare is all about relationships in terms of being successful. So definitely don't ignore that. Yeah. Plus it's more than a marketing thing. It's biz dev, it's partnerships, it's understanding the market. It's all of those things that you need when you're getting started. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there is a lot of value in conferences that many don't understand. Absolutely. Hey, thanks to all of you who tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hong, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lee. Thanks for listening. 